0: Stepped forward from the crowd, and then they looked back at us and said, I will protect you. This is a soldier. They said, I'll do it, whether it's my boots in the mud, my charter in the sea, or my eyes in the sky. I'll go on your behalf. I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with your brother, with your sister. I will laugh with them, I will cry with them, I will fight with them, I will even die with them. This is a soldier. So they cut their hair, they changed their names, they took their orders, they got up at four, stayed up till twelve, the next day they ran. They sweat, they pushed, they hauled, they marched, they yelled, they served, they beat their chest, they stood in our place, this is a soldier, they sacrificed their time, sometimes their lives, lives cut short in the name of the red, white, and blue. Lives cut short because our freedoms depend on it. This is a soldier. So today, we, the Church, honor you, you who are left behind to carry on their name, to carry on their memory, Carry on their flag We are the church So we mourn with those who mourn We are the church So we care for the widows and orphans We are the church So we honor those who have fallen in service honor to you, widows and orphans of war. Honor to you, the mothers and fathers who battle on. Honor to your greatest of sacrifices. May God bless you. And may God bless America.
1: Each year, this is a day that greatly humbles me just because it is overwhelming to think of the sacrifice that was made by so many. I know when uh, we look at things like the Vietnam War Memorial that's now at uh, Hardin County Park and uh, Veterans Park and, um, and also the World War II Memorial, we had the opportunity to go there um, when we last went to Washington, D.C., and it's a beautiful uh, monument. But uh, these are things that we, we try to find a way to recognize or remember, and it always feels inadequate because we do realize the sacrifice is so great. And I think the best way that we honor people uh, who have given their lives for service to our country uh, is, is to, to utilize the freedom that they, that they fought so bravely to make sure that we have. And and to honor them by living lives that are worthy. Uh, there's a, there's a line in um, Saving Private Ryan uh, where uh, an entire group of men gave their lives to save one soldier, and and Tom Hanks uh, in his character uh, just le- had him lean in and he said, "Earn this." And uh, and, it, and he was really just saying that you know now live a life that is good and fruitful and. In a life that is worthy. And I think that uh, as we recognize that these men, uh, that in a greater scheme, that God used them uh, and took their sacrifice and works all things together for good to those who love him. He has utilized the service of our men and women in the armed forces to make sure that we have this opportunity to be here today to proclaim his good news. The freedom to meet here without consequence. And so today we want to honor those who have given their lives by recognizing those who have uh, served in our armed forces. So, if you are here this morning and you have served in the armed forces, would you mind standing today? Would you just would we would just stand for just a moment that we might recognize you and say thank you? God bless you all. You may be seated. We are in a series called. Building a family life center, and I have stressed over and over that we are not talking about a building. Um, and next week, there's going to be something to add confusion to that, as we will be we are planning to distribute a survey on building a family life center, and it will actually be about a building. But uh, let me let me just clarify uh, that the reason for this series of messages is to understand that when we talk about construction of buildings; it's always about about understanding that buildings are just tools there 's resources that we utilize to do that, and so it 's timely in that as we give this survey out to you, uh, we will be distributed through the sunday school classes we 'll also have it available uh, during this service and, and we want you to, to take it home and to pray through it and to answer the questions honestly and, and they're not really questions but statements of whether you agree or disagree about various things uh, that we, we think that information is vital in order to for the committee that we've put together, um, uh, to find out the interest in this, uh, where we are in. And, and really it's about knowing this is what we want to do as a church, or this is what we believe God is wanting to do through us as a church. And do we feel that this resource would be helpful in order to do that? It's not to make our church because the, the building themselves don't do anything. You, you have to have a mission, you have to have a purpose for the building uh, in order for it to, to be able to be realized. And You don't want to spend a lot of money on a building that's just going to sit there. I've seen it done. I've seen churches go way in debt and have buildings that don't do anything. They just sit there, and, or it's just a walking track for 12 people through the week, and, and it's a lot of money for just a walking track. But, but if you are starting to see that God would have a purpose and a plan and, and for this building, uh, then then we need to hear that from you. And, and that's why we're, we're asking you to fill out the survey and to pray through. And, and it'll have some different ideas of this is what the building could be used for and maybe things you hadn't thought about. But as you pray through that, think, could we do this without the building or would this building really be helpful uh, in order to accomplish these things? And are these things that we want to accomplish? So those are the kind of things. Uh, to think through and, and so forth as that 's distributed next week, I also plan to distribute it on a week when Travis was preaching, just so if there was any blame, it would be given to him. Um, but we are um, the series that we 're talking about and hopefully helping to understand that it is it is about uh, family life is not enhanced or made better by by buildings it's it 's by Christ being at the center of our families and, and that 's the whole purpose for this series is to see that we are trying to Uh, to make Jesus the center of everything that we are doing and saying. Uh, And today we're talking about uh, the message is called, In Case You Weren't Listening. Last week we talked about how not to worry, and and this week it's just more of the same, uh, kind of emphasizing. But uh, I don't know how your kids are, but my kids many times don't pay attention to what I'm saying. Now, I'm not trying to imply that this is how you were last week when I was preaching a message, and I'm not preaching the exact same message, but we are showing that the Apostle, Paul does address the same things that Jesus was addressing in just a different way and 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 goes over it again and again and again and again and you'll see things repeated over and over and over again because let's face it we just sometimes we just aren't paying attention we just or we are purposefully not wanting to hear my mother always says my father had selective hearing uh and uh because it is amazing how a lot of men that i know uh that say they can't hear anything can hear a mouse moving four rooms removed but then their wife is yelling from the kitchen i need you i need you i need you and they can't hear that at all i'm not like that uh but uh but i hear about guys like that but we are talking about, we just we have our minds set on things. And worry and stress and anxiety is, is one of those things that we have had for so long. It just becomes a part of our lives. And so we hear people telling us not to worry. I have my dearest friend in the whole world. My dearest friend in the whole world has people constantly telling him that you're going to kill yourself if you keep going at this breakneck speed. If you keep having all these responsibilities. He hears that over and over and over again. But it doesn't change anything because he doesn't know how to, how to move past it or how to drop or how to lay things down. But sometimes we just need to be reminded of things. We need to be reminded to smile more often. We need to be reminded to laugh more often. We tell our kids over and over again, say thank you. Say, I'm sorry. Say, you're welcome. And, or excuse me. Or please. And all these different please and thank you. All these things we, we have to remind them over and over and over again. Because they're worthy of being reminded over and over again. And so, in case you weren't listening, we're going to look in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And Paul's talking to the church at Philippi. And and, and this is one of the good churches. There are Sometimes there are churches that are uh, more of a strain, more in a, more in a place of rebellion against God. But Philippians... The church at Philippi was a church... Uh, you go remember the story of the Philippian jailer and, and, and how all the, the miracles that happened there and, and how the, the Paul and Silas were in prison and there was an earthquake and, and they were found singing and rejoicing and no one had escaped and that whole family wound up getting saved. And, and here you have a church in this region and, and they are a, chur, a loving church. And Paul, you can tell the love he has for them, the love they have for him through the course of this letter, but he just gets this place, and in my heading, and my Bible it says practical counsel, and I love that, and it's because this is exactly what it is. In verse four, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And Lord, I do thank you that you take time to say things over and over again, that you repeat things. Father, but we need to hear the things that are repeated are you're emphasizing. These are things to pay attention to. These are the things we struggle with. These are the things we struggle to remember. They're they're not things we do naturally. And so, Lord, you are trying to show us how. By surrendering to your spirit, these are the things that should be manifesting themselves in our lives. And, Father, I pray that as we go through your word this morning, that you would just illuminate these things and empower us to do them. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Some things just bear repeating. And this bears repeating. That's, anyway. Uh, So I'll say it again. Uh, And and so there's things that... I hope you got that. But the uh, first service got it right off. Uh, But the, uh, the thing that is most worth repeating is we need to be more joyful people. I don't know how to emphasize that enough. We are not what I would call happy people. And I'm talking about the church as a whole. When people think of Christians and if you said who are the most joyful people on the planet, I'm going to guess that Christians just don't pop in people's mind that they don't think in terms of oh, people who serve Jesus or people who love Christ, you know, or uh, I don't know that they even think of us in those terms. We say, what do you think of Christians? I don't know that they connect Christians with people who love Christ. Definitely not people who love like Christ. We have a very Bad reputation. I'm not talking about Cecilia Baptist. I'm talking about the church as a whole. Just followers of Christ as a whole. When you look at us worldwide. Now in pockets. In pockets. In local places. Sometimes we do an excellent job. And with certain groups of people. I think sometimes we do an excellent job. But it's, but, and part of that is the fact the enemy is always putting out bad press about us. The enemy is always trying to make us look bad, but sometimes we just feed into it. Sometimes we just make it very easy. Sometimes we're the most disgruntled people in traffic. Sometimes we're the most disgruntled people in restaurants. Sometimes we're the most disgruntled people in the lines at stores. Sometimes we're the most difficult people at amusement parks and there's supposed to be amusement parks and we're not we're the least amused people there and and sometimes we just look like we hate life we just don't look happy at all and and so, and that's what people are looking for when when you're looking to i mean the thing when you ask about what restaurant to eat at and and where to go and, and especially what church to attend this is what people want to know. is it are people do people like it are they having a good time are they enjoying themselves and that's and if you're not, and if you're, if you're thinking in your heart right now, well, church is not supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be. You know, they should come and suffer like the rest of us. You're missing it. You're missing it. This is what Paul says in Philippians four four, and he says it twice. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord when things are well." Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord at parties. Nope. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And because he knew the church then is a church like us now, and would think that's just not possible, or he's crazy, or that's not realistic. He says, "I'll say it again: <laughs> rejoice." Now, I don't use that term with my kids uh, very often. I don't look at them and say, "Hey, kids, you need to be rejoicing more." We don't we don't use the word rejoice in our common speech. Maybe you do, uh, but. Uh, but we do say things like, you need to smile more, or, you need to be happy more, or or buck up, or or just, you know, let's, let's all have a good time. Or we find, just think of how you would express that. How you would express rejoicing and what that would look like. And then ask yourself, if that's what we look like, if that's what we're doing all the time, and immediately... When people tell me that when I am not in a joyful mood and people tell me to rejoice, I immediately do not start rejoicing. I get defensive. I'm like, you don't understand what I you don't you don't know what kind of day I've had. Or I'm first of all, I'm trying not to think about the demise or death of the person who's telling me to rejoice, I'm trying not to go that far. I'm trying to be positive and say, and I'm just thinking, just leave me alone. You don't get it. I'll rejoice later. Well, the whole point of Paul saying rejoice always is that we are not waiting till later to rejoice. We have to find some joy in the moment. Joy in the moment. Now, isn't it easy to say that when you are joyful? And difficult to say that when you are not the one who is joyful? But here's the thing that I try to remind myself of. And try to remind my children of. And frequently remind my wife of. And she frequently reminds me of when it's reversed. And that's this. Almost always, almost always, the reason why I don't have joy is because something that happened earlier. Not something that's happening right now, but something that did happen. And this is what I try to remember. That's already, I I was miserable then. (laughs) That already made me miserable. Now the question is, am I going to continue to be miserable now? Or am I going to enjoy this moment? I've already lost that moment. That one was bad. You know, flat tire in the rain or whatever, getting stuck in South Carolina for seven hours outside. Whatever the case may be that made it miserable or difficult... That was then, but now am I going to just, you know, when you got bad service or whatever yesterday or something negative happened, am I going to dwell on that and live in that or try to punish people or find exact blood out of people or punish my wife because this that happened three years ago or my children for some, just remind them over and over again. Am I going to continue to drag this misery on or am I going to let it go and say, you know what, we've already had enough bad moments. Let's find some joy in this one. Let's enjoy this now. Let's 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 seize this. Let's let's have a good time now. Let's enjoy this. And so it's a very simple thing. Here's, here's the lesson we learned from this. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what he said. That's just all remember that. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, here, let me just help you out with a little just a little thing to remember. I think the most giddy I see people when they're dreaming about something. Is something that's not really very Baptist. It's about winning the lottery. I can. Ha- I've had this conversation with so many people when their guard is down, and this is what this is how it goes. If I won the lottery, and they start to smile, they're already excited about it. If I won the lottery, that means they've thought about it. If I won the lottery, you know what I would do, you know? And and they start to start to think about it. And then of course I don't play the lottery, you know. But let's just. This is how it has to play out if you're a really good Baptist. You have to find the lottery ticket on the ground. It just has to be there. You didn't pay for it. It was just there. Of course, it's just a lottery. You found it. You didn't pay for it. That's fair, right? Somebody gave it to you as a birthday present. It'd be rude, right? Not to look at it. You know, it's got some numbers on it. They're random. Obviously, God is God of the universe. He can make those numbers the right numbers. You watch. The lottery numbers come up. Boom, boom, boom. All six numbers. Powerball. Boom. You win. Are you like, nah, nah. I don't think I'm going to cash this in. $213 million, whatever. You know, I don't need that. That's not what my life is about. I want to show Jesus how holy I am. And I'm just going to give this to an orphanage somewhere. That's not what happens. What happens is we get super excited. about. In fact, if you had won the lottery, we'd all already know you'd won the lottery. We're trying to figure out how we're related to you. If you've already won the lottery. In fact, Travis and I are having a discussion with you about the Family Life Center, you know, if you've won the lottery. 10% of $213 million should pull it off. (laughs) Paul is saying, you've won the lottery. I don't know if you're a UK fan or not, but I just remember some John Calipari did. Well, you should be a UK fan, but if you're not, John Calipari was having a discussion with his kids and he he was telling them, he was trying to tell them, be patient, be patient. He said, because you've already, you're already all millionaires. You've already all won the lottery. He said, you're all going to go, you're going to be playing in the NBA. You got multi-million dollar contracts coming up. But they don't have it yet. They just have the promise of that. When you win the lottery, you just have a ticket in your hand. You don't actually have money. You just have the promise of money. You the promise of this. And Paul is saying, you would rejoice in that. You rejoice in that because you have faith in that lottery ticket. And if those players for UK are rejoicing, it's because they have faith in what their coach is saying. And Paul is saying, all I'm asking is that you believe that what Jesus is saying is true. And if you believe it, then you'll be rejoicing in it. Because you've won. I mean, really, you've won Every, I mean, why, why would you want to win the lottery? Everybody wants to win the lottery for the same reason, and that's because they don't want to worry about money anymore. Look, look in this next part. There's a song Bonnie Raitt came out with called, um, Give Them something to talk about, back in the early 90s. In, and in our world of social media today, People are, people like to talk about other people. I mean, I I don't know if you've paid attention, uh, but we love to share information. We're always talking about things that are going on. We're always looking for some subject of conversation. You know, if somebody in here does something, other people are going to talk about it. You know, we, we get the information and then we share the information. And now it's like super quick. Super quick, you know, I can, if you're on Facebook, I can be in the line at Walmart and while I'm waiting in line, I can learn, you know, what you're eating for supper or lunch that day. I can learn who friends are at your house or all all these different things, all this information for people I never see ever. All my classmates I went to school with, I know I spend more time reading about their lives now than I paid attention to them when I was in high school with them. Because it's just all out there. We just have, we just make it available. Because we love to talk about other people. And and if you are familiar with politics, one of the things in politics that you live or die in in politics is you have you want to drive the conversation. Meaning you want to control what people are saying about you. You know whether it's good or bad. You want to be the one driving the conversation. You everybody if they're going to be talking about something, so let's give people something to talk about. And that is absolutely what we want to do in the church. We do it in the church, whether we know it or not. You are always you are always giving people something to talk about in connection with your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or or your even in your homes and your family, as you as you talk about church, you are driving the conversation point of conversation about church in your home. If your focus is on uh, what happened at service or what runs reminds me of a story. I, I, the couple went to church and they're riding home and, and the, and I may have shared this before. And the, but the uh, mom was like, uh, you know, that was, that was the worst preaching I've ever heard in my entire life. And she says, I can't believe we sat through that horribly boring sermon. And, and the dad was like, yeah, and the music was horrible. He says, it was just a song. I was off key and so forth. He goes, Oh, what a struggle that was. And the boy in the back seat says, well, I thought it was a pretty good show for a quarter. But we all we are we the conversations we're having about what we're doing even right now and what we do in our Christian lives and so forth that conversation is what people will continue to talk about think about it you share things that your parents instilled in you about church you shared that with other people forever you still talk about it that way you still Still have those memories of how this is what my mom thought about church. This is what my mom thought about God. This is what my dad thought about church. This is what my dad thought about God. You know what that is because they told you. And now you're telling other people. Now you're sharing that information with other people. You're, you're driving that, that part of, of speech. Look what, look what Paul says in verse 5. He says, Let your graciousness be known... To everyone. It could be translated gentleness. It could be translated generosity. But let it be known to everyone. He means, he's saying, let everybody know how Jesus has changed your life, what Jesus has put inside of you, how good Jesus is. Let let everybody know. Let this be the subject of conversation. When people are talking about you, whether it be your kids, I, I mean, this is what should the conversation should be. My kids should be saying, my daddy loves Jesus. Man, my daddy loves Jesus. He's just got Jesus flowing all over him. You know, my mama loves Jesus. Man, she just loves Jesus. My kids do say that. That's what well, I praise the Lord for a great wife. The Lord is near The Lord is near. He's saying he's he's coming back. So let's let's be living like he's coming back. Let's be living like he's right upon us. And we are trying to be. Please. Do you ever have your parents go away, and and uh, and they ask you to clean the house when while they're gone, or to do something while they're gone? And so you try to time exactly when they're going to be back, and they start to come back a little early, and the franticness you go through of trying to get everything done that they ask you to do, and, and so forth. This is what he's trying to say. He's trying to build this anticipation. He's like, hey, hey, let's perk up, let's rejoice, and now and now let let your graciousness be known to everybody. Let everybody know how much you are a follower of Jesus by being like Jesus. And then he says these words that reflect what we talked about last week. Just the first part of this next verse. Don't worry about anything. Were you listening last week? We said that. Jesus said it. Now Paul is saying it. Don't worry about anything. Now, with these five exceptions. (laughs) There are no exceptions. Don't worry about anything. So if you're worried about something, then you're disobeying this command. Don't worry about anything. And here's how I believe you do that. I think you wholeheartedly believe you can give everything away. Wholeheartedly. Heartedly believe you can give everything away. That means when you are having a yard sale, and you've tried I'm, this isn't you, Leroy, and I'm not preaching to you guys today. It's not targeted. It's not targeted at my wife either. It's isn't about her. It's about anybody having a yard sale. This is general information. Nothing wrong with yard sales, but definitely don't stress over yard sales. If you've got something for a quarter and you can't move that merchandise, just make a phone call when it's all over and done. Say, hey, come get it. Give it away. Take it. Free to a good home. Whatever. Remove it from my life. Because these are things we don't even want. But it goes beyond that. Now go into your house. Things that you care about. And just in your heart. Just say, you know what? I can lose all this. I can give it all away. The thing that was most precious to me in our whole lives was my grandmother's house. I loved that house. I loved the house and I loved the property it was on. I loved it the whole time I was growing up. I loved the fact that it was her house and that she was in that house and we lived in it. And I had all the memories of the great, wonderful times we had spending with my grandmother. And, and we had, while well, we were remodeling our houses when I was in second grade, we were remodeling a house in Dundee. We lived with my grandmother and so had those precious memories. And my children grew up in that house and they loved that house and loved that property. But when we felt God was calling us to mission field, we said, we're going to have to give this house up. And this is what we had to come to terms with. We've won the lottery. We have everything waiting for us. We've got a ticket that guarantees our eternity and all the riches of heaven. And we've got a mansion in glory. We've got a home waiting for us. This is not our home. So let's just let it go. Let's just give it away. Let's just depart from it. And that's more true than you could know. We literally just had to give it away. And we need to be willing to do that with everything. And when we can do that, it shows we don't worry. Now, I'm going to talk just a moment, just a minute, 36 to a minute. I'm going to limit myself about what I like to call the cookie Nazi since vacation Bible school is coming up. I've made this speech at every church I've ever served at. We don't need, at Vacation Bible School, any cookie Nazis. Now, if you're one of them, bless your heart, but um, just let me tell you, this is why. Children who come to Vacation Bible School are looking for something they don't even know what it is. We want to drive the conversation. We want to give them something to talk about. When they go home, We want them to know how generous Jesus is. And if you run out of cookies, because this is why cookie Nazis exist, because they're afraid they won't get another cookie, that they'll run out and then they won't have anything to give. And here's what I'm going to tell you right now. This is my promise to you. I will go buy more cookies out of my own pocket. I'll go to the store. I'll get whatever kind of cookie we need to get, and I'll make sure we have plenty as long as we make sure those kids believe that God loves them. And he is a generous and loving God. And if they want another cookie, we'll give them another cookie. If that's what it takes to communicate that. Because we need a smile on our face. And joy in our heart. And say, absolutely. You can have another cookie. You don't deserve it. <laughs> but none of us do. That's how good God's love is. And finally... God's going to give me a piece of my mind. See what I did with those play on words there? There is a book called A Piece of My Mind. And um, it's American stories. And it's about people who have found peace in their lives here in America. And what was remarkable to me about this book is how many of these people are not followers of Jesus Christ. And as I read about it, as I was reading their stories, it was clear that they could. We're seeing problems and issues with established religion, especially established Christianity in the world today. And they found peace elsewhere. But here's what I did. Also took note of. All of them found peace. In love. All of them. It was all about. This is where I discovered peace. I discovered peace in learning to love other people. And this is what breaks my heart. That's our message the world is trying to outlove us and they're succeeding in it the world is doing a better job of communicating love than we are at doing communicate we got off task somewhere we got off message somewhere and what happens is it's now a substitute for the love of christ you know if you think that islam is love or if you think that hinduism is love or you think that buddhism is love or if you think all these things are love we can't tell people that we are more loving than those groups. We can't tell people that our love is greater than those groups unless we are living like the one who called us to live. We have to be followers of Jesus Christ and living out his example and loving people as he has loved us. And when we do that, then they will see our love is better than any other love on the planet because it's, it's a love that is sacrificial Greater love has no one than this, Jesus says, than he laid down his life for his friends. What an appropriate statement to make on Memorial Day. And that has to be how we live our lives. The reason why I think we can't do that is because we are afraid. We are afraid if I give what I have away, if I give my life away, then I won't have a life. Look what he says in these last verses. Second part, of he said, don't worry about anything, but he says, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, which surpasses our understanding, which is greater than we could possibly imagine, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And here tells me, just sum it up in this statement, make God the source of your codependency so you are free to heal and to help others. And what I mean by that word codependency, codependency is when somebody has an addiction or a problem and they are leaning on somebody else to take care of them, meaning I can't live without you. And and, and I'm I'm desperately, I'm drowning in my life. I'm drowning in my problems. I'm drowning in my pain. And I'm reaching out to you and hanging on to you. And this is what people in church are doing. They're saying, "Ah, it's wearing me out. These people are wearing me out. Now I'm, now I'm the one who needs somebody. I need somebody to minister to me. it to get all these people sucking the life out of each other. And then you've got Jesus saying, whoa, wait a second. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest the reason why the church is running itself ragged and why we don't want to volunteer a vacation Bible school anymore. Why we don't want to volunteer to teach or to be involved or do ministries because it's like it just, you know, it takes, it takes so much out of me. It takes so much out of you because of where you're getting refueled, because of where you're being replenished. You need to be turning to Christ. He's, remember, he's the go-to guy, as we said last week. When you make Jesus the source of your codependency when you say this is how this works practically okay this is just a <laughs> this is an example that I had and I really hate this example now that my wife is sitting here in front of me but just imagine in some world that I came home and my house wasn't clean Just imagine, I know, I know already thinking, why would you choose this example? But uh, anyway, just imagine that happens. I come home, my house is clean. She's been home all day. I've been working hard and, and she's been at home doing nothing all day. And uh, this is a horrible example. I already get it. But the, and she, I come home and I'm like, the first response is, I can't believe the house isn't clean. And I want to tear into her. Because I am dependent upon her for that to be done. Instead, let's turn it around. I come home, my house isn't clean, and I thank God. All right. Does the house need to be clean? And if it does, I'm petitioning you. To give me the strength, whatever the case is, whatever her reason is. I'm not going to punish my wife. I'm not going to reprimand my wife. I'm not going to try to find a way to make her life more miserable or, or demand whatever. I'm just simply saying, okay, here's what needs to be done. Would you give me the strength to do it? To help her, to minister to her. Would you heal me so I can help her? See, now he's my source. I'm petitioning him. I'm recognizing him as my savior, and now I can help her, whatever the case may be. And this, instead of being this this husband who doesn't understand, and this husband who doesn't know what I've been going through today, and this husband who never listens to me, all of a sudden now my husband is Christ-like. He just came home, and he loved me today. And now she's telling our children, let me tell you what kind of dad your dad is. Let me tell you what kind of husband your dad is. And telling other people. And now let's give glory to Jesus for that. And people say, my children come in and say, Dad, how do you do that? How do you, how do you keep their composure? How do you do that? I it's Jesus, my friends. It's Jesus, my kids. It's Jesus, my love. Jesus gives me that strength. He, he hears me. And if he doesn't give me the strength to clean the house, then I guess he doesn't want the house clean. That's just what i got to believe. So let it go. If he wants it done, he'll give me the strength. If he doesn't want it done, he won't. But I'm trusting him either way. Make God the source of your codependency so you're free to help and to heal others. So you're free to heal and to help others. And you can start asking for that help right now. Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. Everybody in here needs to be saved from something. Everybody, We've, some of you have been saved from hell, praise the Lord. You're eternally secure in the arms of Christ, but you've got other issues. You've got something else going on that you need help with. Let me just use that word, you need, everybody in here needs help with something. Something you can't do on your own or in your own strength. And you're probably frustrated with other people because they're not doing what you think they need to be doing in order for you to get it done. And so you're stressed with those people and you worry that they're not going to get it done. You're going to worry that they're going to fail and whatever and it's going to make you fail. And so that, that's where stress and worry and anxiety gets to. I just want you to stop for a second and hear what he's saying. He's saying, have you petitioned me? Have you asked me for help? And do you believe that I can help you? Because if you believe that he can help you, and he can. Friends, he rose from the dead. He died on a cross for your sins. He sacrificed his life so you know he loves you. He rose from the dead. He is at the right hand of the Father. He lives today. He's empowered with all power. All authority is given to him. He says, whatever you ask me in my name. I can do that for you if it's what is necessary to get what I've asked you. If I've asked you to do something, this is basically what he's saying. If I've asked you to do something, I will give you what you need to do it. Period. And if I don't if you don't get it, then I didn't ask you to do it. So you'll you'll know one or two things. If I don't give you what you're asking for, then I didn't ask you to do that. So let it go. But if you need something in order to get it done, I will give it to you. And that's why you don't have to worry ever. Ever. And so what is it? What is it that you need help with? Whatever you need to be saved from, whatever you need to be helped with, Jesus, Jesus can help you. Jesus can save you. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how amazing you are and how willing you are to help us. Lord, when we talk about loving other people as you love us. I think one of the reasons why I hesitate to help others is because I think you hesitate to help me. But that is so far from the truth. Lord, you do not hesitate to help me. You always are willing to help me. You always are willing to save me. You just you you sometimes delay answers because they need to be delayed because that's the greatest help. That you, you know the situation and you know what I need and, and you give it to me when I need it. And so, Lord, may I trust you in that. May we all trust you in that. But may we believe wholeheartedly that whatever we ask you for today... If it's necessary for us to do what you put us here to do, you will give it to us. It will be done. So, Lord, may we ask. In Jesus name. Amen.